Welcome to the Wellness Plus Podcast, featuring interviews with health and wellness professionals empowering you to take control of your health and happiness. Feel better, look better, and live better today by subscribing right now for new episodes every week. The Wellness Plus Podcast is brought to you by wellnessplus.tv and made possible by the generous donations of Psyche Truth Patreon supporters. Now here's your host, Certified Holistic Health Coach, Karina Rachel. Hello and welcome to the Wellness Plus Podcast. I'm your host, Karina Rachel, and I'm joined today by Gen Norden. She is a Buddhist nun, and she's going to be talking with us today about Buddhism and working meditation into our busy lifestyles. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure, Karina. Thank you for having me. So I want to just back up a little bit to how you originally became interested in Buddhism, because mm-hmm. this was when you were around 18 years old, you said? Yeah, I, well, I became a Buddhist nun when I was 18, somehow. It's felt normal at the time. <laughs> uh, but I actually uh, encountered Buddhism when I was 16. Um, I was not a religious person growing up or even thinking of myself as a spiritual person. Um, I yeah, not at all. I was very secular. I had a very secular upbringing. I didn't think I would be interested in anything religious or spiritual. I assumed I wouldn't be. Um, but I was 16 and I, I, was, uh, I was actually just bored at a friend's okay. house. And I'm happy to try anything once. And my friend was going to this talk on Buddhism. Uh, and I just got in the car and, you know, went with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just found myself at this talk on meditation and Buddhist philosophy. And I really loved it. I, I was very overwhelmed by how much I got out of it. I didn't even say to anyone really how much I enjoyed it mm-hmm. because it um, it was very thought-provoking. It um, made me ask myself a lot more questions and want to follow up. And then I just um, became quite interested and kept going back to these classes and to this uh, Buddhist meditation center that was just opening up in my hometown in Bath in the south of England and um, naturally became more involved and interested. And then when I was 18, I became a Buddhist nun. Uh, And now I'm 42. (laughs) (laughs) A very youthful 42. Oh, thank you. It's the meditation. (laughs) So if you could maybe think about, you know, as I think about 16-year-olds, usually we're um, just kind of stuck in the, you know, um, everyone's getting into fashion and makeup Uh and all of these things. And so I think it's very interesting that even at such a young age, there were things that really kind of piqued your interest. Can you maybe talk about what were some of those things that really grabbed Mm -hmm. your attention, even at such a young age, to really make you say that this is, you know, even someone coming from a secular kind of background, that this was something that you became so interested in? Yeah. I mean, I was a very normal teenager, doing very normal things, interested in all the things you describe, and just very, very normal. Um, Yeah, and that's the thing about Buddhism and meditation is that, it really is not, um, it's it's something that uh, is for every person. It's not a niche type thing. It's a very mm-hmm. universal thing. And it's addressing um, our normal human lives, like what is the nature of happiness and the nature of suffering and understanding the mind and how, um, our, what what's the meaning of life and how we collectively create our world and can improve mm-hmm. that and so on. Um, and... Yeah, addressing and answering those questions and then kind of reposing them to you to explore further and mm-hmm. and understand for yourself. And um, like one very basic um, cornerstone in Buddhist philosophy that feeds right into meditation and using meditation is thinking about the nature of happiness and suffering. Because, and thinking about how all that we want, and I think this was in the first talk that I went to, all that we want is to be happy and free from suffering. That's our most basic desire. Mm-hmm. However, we th- think we're trying to fulfill that by getting more friends, getting more money, having exciting experiences, having less exciting experiences, whatever it is that through a career, through relationships, mm-hmm. um, through the way that we look, um, it, everything that we do one way or the other is about moving closer to happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction. 
and moving further away from problems, suffering, pain, mm -hmm. uh, difficulty. But that what was pointed out in this talk and what we think about a lot in Buddhism and meditation is that how, um, how successful are we being and where do we think we're going to achieve, how do we think we're going to achieve that? And recognizing that actually happiness and suffering are states of mind, they're not external things. Mm. Um, you can't find happiness in another person or in an amount of stuff or money mm -hmm. or in a way that you look or in a degree of popularity or external success. Um, you simply can't. Not These things aren't bad either. Mm -hmm. But they're just external things. They're right. not happiness or suffering. Um, how do you know, you know, I like to say to people, how do you know that you're suffering? Not, I'm not someone who's saying they're suffering, but they're just in an abstract thing just to make this point. Mm -hmm. How do we know if we're suffering? If someone comes up to us on the street and is doing some strange survey in Austin today of how many <laughs> people are suffering today, and say, are you suffering? And if we're going to answer them honestly, how do we do that? Where do we look? Because we mm. might think in abstract, oh, I'll look in my bank balance to see if I'm suffering. I'll look in my relationships, in my home life, in my work life, in whether my car's working, whether I have a job, etc., to see if I'm suffering. But in truth, we only look in one place. Mm. We just look in our mind. And if we feel bad, if we have painful feelings in our mind, mm -hmm. if we feel bad then we're suffering. And if we're answering honestly, we have to say, yes, I'm suffering. Even if we look amazing, like our makeup's perfect, our hair's great, people are jealous of our relationships and our success. You know, people think they're not suffering, they're fine, they're more than fine. Mm -hmm. But if we have painful feelings in our mind, we're suffering. And if we don't, even if we look awful and people are giving us lots of pity and so on, you know, mm -hmm. things look like they're falling apart, but we don't feel bad, we don't have painful feelings we're not suffering. Mm -hmm. And that's all pointing out that happiness and suffering are internal things, right. which can be obvious when we think about it, but it's not obvious in the sense that, that it's not generally how we live our life. We live our life, many of us, thinking that we can find happiness in somebody else mm -hmm. or in something else or in changing our external conditions. Um, and then if we can pursue that our whole life, and if we pursue our happiness and our freedom from suffering in that way, we're just, you know, we're not getting anywhere. Mm -hmm. we, we'll end up with as many problems and as little happiness at the end of our life as at the beginning, just different problems. Right. Like um, the analogy of a hamster on a wheel, just exhausting ourselves, working mm -hmm. very hard. We're definitely working very hard to be happy and free from suffering. Right. But through external measures, we're just going to be tiring ourselves out but in basically the same place mm -hmm. and Buddhism points this out and says you know everyone wants to be happy and free from suffering it's not an impossible task you just have to know what it is and where to look for it and start looking in the right place mm -hmm. and that because happiness and suffering are internal things they're part of a person's mind the only place in the world you find happiness is within the feelings of a person you know you don't find it in a chair or mm -hmm. in a bank you know, right. you find it in people mm -hmm. and in their feelings. Um, so its main cause must also be within our minds, within people's feelings, within our minds. And so we need to do something internal. We need to work on our mind, work on controlling and transforming mm. our mind. And that's what meditation focuses on. Right. You know, just as you're speaking there, I, I think about all of these um, you know, uh, behind the music or documentary type things of different celebrities or actors mm -hmm. and rock stars. And so many of them yeah. are what I think the average person kind of idolizes or idealizes. Mm -hmm. Oh, if I was rich and famous, or if I was a famous guitar player or famous actress, or, mm -hmm. um, you know, this idea that if we could attain this thing or this stature or position or whatever, that we would be happy. But more often than not, when you actually watch those documentaries, you find that those people in those positions of grandeur almost mm. 
oftentimes are very, very unhappy. Mm. And so it's a great kind of illustration of what you were just saying, which is that as we reach to try and attain more wealth or popularity or whatever, we get really fixated on those things. Um, and then oftentimes, even once people do achieve those things, they're still not happy. And mm. so it raises that that perfect question. Well, then, if it's not being rich and famous and living in this mega mansion or something, you know, then what is it? And I love that you kind of um, were able to see how powerful that message was, mm -hmm. even at age 16, you yeah. know, um, that you were able to kind of, you know, grasp that all of the people around us doing all these different things and our different interests and talents and whatever it may be, that we're all kind of guided by this same basic principle that we want to be happy. And yet there's this, um, you know, kind of big question around, well, what really gets you that? Mm -hmm. Because if there's all of these people who have these things I wish I had and they're still not happy, yeah. then it kind of... Um, you know, begs the question that, do, you know, do those things bring you any happiness or do they just keep you, like you said, in the hamster wheel yeah. where you're always going more and mm -hmm. you're always, even once you attain a certain level of wealth or whatever it is, mm -hmm. well, now it feels like you're at the bottom and you're looking at these other people that have more than you. And it's like, you could just always be pushing further. Yeah. Um, we definitely live in a society that, um, you know, really emphasizes the material possessions. Mm -hmm. And clearly there's a lot of money and marketing and advertising behind, you know, keeping people uh, focused on attaining those things mm -hmm. and, you know, attaining those material possessions. Uh, so what was it, I guess, in between 16 and 18 that you decided that this was what you really wanted to dedicate your life to? You know, um, that just really happened naturally. That wasn't what I was expecting. Um, I just found it taking up more and more of my attention and interest, Buddhism and meditation. Mm -hmm. And um, at one point, someone asked me, oh, would I, what did I think about becoming a Buddhist nun? And I hadn't consciously thought about it. Mm -hmm. or, and I realized, oh, actually, that is what I want to do. <laughs> And then from then on, it just kind of grew and mm -hmm. became more of a stable um, recognition that that was just something that I was going to do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, so you're not from the States. Can mm -hmm. you maybe tell us a little bit about how you've ended up in Texas now mm -hmm. and working in the meditation centers here? Sure. Uh, yeah, so I grew up in the southwest of England um, in a place called Bath, and that's where I met Buddhism and meditation and uh, became a Buddhist nun. And uh, then my teacher, Geshe Kelsang, who um, looks after an international organization um, of Kadampa Buddhism, which has centers around the world, or had a lot of requests for Buddhist centers around the world. Mm. Um, and there was a lot of requests for help in starting Buddhist centers in America. And uh, in 95, I was asked to um, help with some uh, new Buddhist centers in California. And uh, so I came, to I came to the States then. Mm -hmm. And um, I've mostly been in the, the States since 95. I've been back and forth a little bit. Um, but I, my first year was in California and then I taught at a Buddhist center in Philadelphia and New Jersey for 11 years. Um, and then most before coming to Texas, I taught at a center on Buddhist center on Long Island in New York State uh, for six years. And then my teacher, Geshe Kelsang, uh, asked if I would come to Houston um, because there was interest. And it's, you know, it's amazing. So many amazing. Texas is really growing and mm -hmm. people are coming here and it's really diverse and lots going on. Um, and I uh, wanted to help things um, flourish more in Texas. So I went to Houston, and then um, they needed help at the center in Austin as well. So about a year ago, I came to Austin, and I actually still go to Houston, so I'm a couple of days a week in Houston and the rest of the time in Austin. And in Austin, there's been a Kadampa Buddhist center for uh, at least 15 years, mm. um, 
which is very nice. There's a lovely community here. And they um, leased a, a commercial space right downtown uh, about 18 months ago. Um, they were in South Austin, mm -hmm. and now they're right downtown, uh, very close to the Capitol building on 8th, 8th just off Congress, oh. um, so, which is beautiful space and right down in the, hu in the hustle and bustle of everything, mm -hmm. where, you know, which is really interesting to be able to offer meditation down there. So um, I, I teach there, other people teach there as well, and we have a lot of uh, different meditation activities going on, like lunchtime meditations, mm -hmm. evening classes, weekend things down there. So for people listening who... Um, you know, I, I think this concept of meditation has definitely come into the mainstream a lot mm -hmm. recently. But I think that a lot of people have, you know, maybe some fear or apprehension around this idea of meditation. And um, just among the people I know and my health coaching clients, people have expressed things like, I don't know if I'm doing it right. Sure. Or, you know... I, you know, I understand that I, I want to clear my mind, but this idea of how you can actually mm. do that. Mm. <laughs> and when so many of us are used to this just constant, um, you know, constant flow of thoughts, we're thinking of work and family and all of these things. And it's, it's just, uh, it starts to feel very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, what would you say to someone mm -hmm. um, about meditation and how they can start to um, feel more comfortable with the idea of meditating. Right. Yeah. Good question. Um, that makes me think two things. Um, one, that it is important that you learn a technique because you can do it right and you cannot be doing it right. <laughs> you know, like it's not just any old thing, but at the same time, it's something that anyone can do. If you have a qualified technique and you get some instruction in that technique, um, that it's not beyond anyone, even someone with a lot of ADD or someone with a super, super busy life and five children running and screaming around their home all day and night. It's not too much or beyond anyone. You do want to know that you're doing it right, which again means just f using a technique, a, a, a qualified technique. Um, because meditation, also, meditation is not just clearing the mind. Meditation is exercise for the mind. Because mm. we need to exercise our minds. We know we need to exercise our bodies or, you know, we need to at least move our bodies. <laughs> <laughs> and we need to feed them, you know. So we also need to feed and move our minds, exercise our minds. Because if we don't, we know if we don't move our body, if we don't nourish our body, if we don't mm -hmm. clean our body, bad things happen. We know we don't feel good. We become mm. antisocial. No one wants to sit next to us. You know, it doesn't work <laughs> out. And the same is true with our mind. So we need to do something. If, if we want to be happy and healthy and have people like being around us of good relationships, i.e. as well, we need to do something each day that is exercising, training our mind, improving the quality of our mind, exercising it, nourishing it, cleaning it. Mm -hmm. And that's what meditation is about. It's a tool to do that. Um, through using mindfulness and concentration, we're exercising, improving the quality of our, toning up our mind. And that's going to affect, in a positive way, everything that we're thinking and doing in all of our interactions. Mm. We don't, you don't have to have a, a long amount of time for this, even if you just have five minutes a day to focus on meditation. If you're using a, a you know, if, you, if you're using a qualified technique, you can do really well with those five minutes if you're consistent with it. Consistency is very important. Okay. Um, but it's, it's not something that's beyond anybody or that has to take a huge amount of time. Mm. Um, but going back to the thing of, um, like, meditation is, n is not clearing our mind. Clearing our mind of most thoughts is part of meditation um, but just clearing our mind in general is more like taking a nap versus to the body what mm -hmm. exercise is to the body like I believe in naps naps are very useful and there's a great place for them but at the end of a nap you can't say that you exercised right? <laughs> even if you wanted to um, it's not the same thing so just clearing our mind 
might be quite relaxing, but it doesn't have the long-term benefits of meditation like exercise has different benefits to mm -hmm. napping. Because in meditation, we need to have an object of focus. Meditation always has something that we call a meditation object. That means an object of mind. That also means something that you're being mindful of or concentrating on moment by moment by moment, keeping your mind focused on being present to an object of meditation moment by moment by moment. Mm. A really simple one is the sensation of the breath. For example, the sensation of the breath as it enters and leaves the nostrils. That's a very simple um, way to start meditation because it's easy to find that. We're always breathing. Mm -hmm. If we lose it, we can return to it quite easily. Um, an object of meditation is always something that when you focus on it, your mind becomes more peaceful. Um, in fact, you know, our mind has the capacity for incredible amounts of inner peace, wellness, um, contentment, happiness. Mm. We just have to know how to access that. And one way of doing that is by letting go of our distracting thoughts and extraneous extra thoughts and mm -hmm. our negative thoughts and learning to make our mind peaceful, calm and still by focusing on one subtle or meaningful thing moment by moment by moment and training in mindfulness and concentration on it. Um, again, even if we just have five, if you have 20 minutes, that's wonderful, but that can be daunting at first. Mm -hmm. So even if you just have five minutes to do that, you can have a really profound effect on even just on realizing that you have the capacity to feel good. Mm -hmm. You have the capacity to feel peaceful and a kind of... Um, kind of peace and happiness that's not dependent on what's going on around you mm, because right. otherwise it's like we're dependent upon things going our way externally mm -hmm. for us to be happy that we're dependent on people saying what we want them to say you know the traffic lights being lined up and mm. external conditions being how we want them or feel we need them right. or else we can't be happy and that's a very stressful place to be every day and a very vulnerable mm -hmm. position to be in whereas if we can learn to create our own happiness and peace of mind from mm -hmm. within that's just coming from within it right. doesn't cost us anything it's not dependent on anyone else's behaving a certain way or things turning out a certain way and that's really really empowering and mm -hmm. really encouraging and that we could then recreate that anytime we want through using something like meditation okay The podcast you are listening to was brought to you by wellnessplus.tv, a subscription service empowering you with everything you need to take control of your health and happiness. Sign up for your free trial today to watch the video version of this episode and all our podcast episodes. Plus, you'll gain access to our extensive library, including hundreds of follow-along yoga and fitness courses, massage therapy tutorials, weight loss information, guided meditations, educational health videos, and so much more. Feel better, look better, and live better today by visiting wellnessplus.tv. So you had talked about uh, having a qualified technique mm -hmm. um, for approaching meditation. Can you elucidate that a little more? Uh, yes. I mean, just in the sense of like, it is important to know, like you were saying, someone might be thinking, um, am I doing it right? You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> So there may be many different techniques, but we want to find one that we're comfortable with and that's tried and tested. Um, so like in, in Buddhism and in Kadampa Buddhism, um, there, are, there are many different meditations that we do. And again, a simple starting place is meditation on the breath. Um, and then once we're comfortable with that, we can then move the object of our meditation to other things like um, meditation on loving kindness that's a really powerful mm. meditation because not only are we centering our mind and improve training and mindfulness and concentration that will naturally bring in a peace and make us feel good we're also bringing out the best in our human qualities mm. and bringing out um, extraordinary uh, traits and states of mind that um, are improving who we are as a human being, making, giving us more self-confidence and self-respect in who we are, mm -hmm. informing the way we think and the way we act during the day, and, and through that, improving our relationships, if 
collectively improving our society, the more of those kinds of minds we generate and bring into our world. Um, so we can also learn to meditate on things like that, um, increasing our patience, our compassion, our contentment, our wisdom. Uh, these meditations we sometimes call Lam Rim, um, which in Buddhism means stages of the path to enlightenment, meditating on these different insights and states of mind that move us along, m move our mind, our, us, along the spiritual path. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, for example, on, on our Wednesday evening class downtown, um, we teach Lam Rim meditation and we go through a different Lam Rim meditation each week. Mm. and explain how to do that, what the meaning is, what the benefits are, and we do the meditation together and then have some discussion on that. Um, but still, starting with something simple like breathing meditation, at all the classes we have at Kadampa Meditation Center Austin, pretty much all of them we start with a guided breathing meditation. Um, and f for that, I mean, actually, if we probably have time to go into a little oh, bit. Oh, no, yes, yeah. please. Okay. <laughs> um, for that, if you actually want to think about what you're doing when you're meditating, no matter what kind of meditation it is or what your object of meditation is, you can divide meditation into four things, four activities or things, so that if you're wondering in that five minutes or 20 minutes, am I meditating, you can ask yourself instead, am I doing one or more of these four things? If the answer is yes, you can you know, put a big check mark, yep, I'm doing it. If the answer's not, then it's like, oh, maybe I'm not. And we call those four things seeking, finding, holding, and remaining on the object of meditation, the object of mindfulness and concentration. So at any given point in that meditation time, you're doing one or more of those four things. The first two go together and the second two to go together. So seeking and finding go together and holding and remaining go together. So our first job in meditation is seeking and finding the object of mindfulness and concentration, the object of meditation. If that's something like loving kindness, that takes more time. That's a whole mm. contemplation, which is meaning, a meaningful aspect of meditation also is contemplation. Learning to contemplate things in a, a way that moves our mind in a meaningful direction. Mm. But that can take longer. If we're meditating on the breath, then that's an easier thing, but we still have to do it. We have to seek and find that subtle sensation of our breath, which means letting go of everything else, because when we sit down to meditate, our mind's thinking about all manner of things, what somebody mm -hmm. said, what we've got to do later, um, our shopping list, what we want to eat, you know, all kinds of the pain in our knee, any the traffic outside, and it's not focused on our breath mm -hmm. or the object of meditation. So we have to move our mind away from those things and to the object of our breath. I like to think of this as um, my parents live by the seaside in, in the UK. And um, I haven't seen them here, but I'm pretty sure America must have them too, that uh, you get these big telescopes sometimes at the seaside, at the mm -hmm. ocean side. And there's a lighthouse not far from my parents and you like put a coin in the telescope and it clicks on and then you look through it and you can um, observe the, the, the lighthouse or whatever, um, the cliffs or whatever it is, the mm -hmm. point of reference is. And I like to think of seeking, finding, holding and remaining, learning that like using that telescope. Mm -hmm. And as a little girl, um, well, those telescopes are quite heavy. <laughs> but the first thing you do, you put your coin in and it goes on and um, the, the telescope is focused at the sidewalk on a piece of chewing gum or something. So this mm -hmm. is like our mind. Our mind's focused on a piece of chewing gum, like an object of resentment mm. or something. Like, why did they say that? And I'm going to do this. And, you know, so we've got to get it off the chewing gum so it can go toward the lighthouse. Mm -hmm. So we've got to pick it up and move it away from all that stuff mm -hmm. and, and, and move, keep moving it toward what, we want to have as our chosen object of meditation. So in this case, that subtle sensation that's right there as, uh, below our nose as, as our, the breath enters and leaves the nostrils. So like moving the telescope, you move it around and you see, you know, you see a bird and you think, well, that's not it. You don't want to get stuck on that. That's not it either. So you might move your mind and you have a memory from something that happened earlier. Okay, that's not it. You move your mind a bit more, maybe 
you see a boat on the sea and that's like something you're doing later, well that's not your chosen object of meditation either, it's the lighthouse or in this case it's the breath. So you keep moving it until within that lens is appearing that uh, St. Mary's Lighthouse in um, Whitley Bay, Newcastle. <laughs> it's a very nice lighthouse if you're ever in that part of the world. Um, or to the sensation of our breath. And you want that to fill the center of your mind. So just like in the, with the telescope, you want it to fill the lens and you want to zoom in on it so there's no room for anything else. Mm. You just want to focus in on that. So you move it till the sensation of breath is right front and center in the middle of your mind. Then you've done the seeking and now you've found the object of meditation. And now you move on to the next part, holding and remaining, or the next two bits, mm. holding and remaining. So now your job is to stop moving your mind, just like stop moving the telescope and keep it steady so you can examine and stay, remain with that lighthouse mm -hmm. and, and study it. So now our mind's found our breath, but it wants to do all these other things. It wants to go swinging straight past that and on to the next thing because mm -hmm. our mind's always wanting to move on to something else. So this is the other training, is in keeping our mind still and steady on one single thing. And this is the real exercise part, um, exercising that mental muscle of mindfulness mm. that enables us to train in concentration that brings real peace. And it's mindfulness that's able to hold our mind steady on one thing and re remember it, not forget it, moment by moment by moment. Mm. And that's a training in the beginning our muscle of mindfulness is not usually very strong. Um, uh, our normal modern Western lives don't really um, do much to train us, to help us with our mindfulness, right. so we have to help ourselves mm -hmm. by doing these kinds of things. Um, and even like I'm thinking as a girl, as a young girl with the telescope, the telescope's heavy, and I need a strong muscle, arm muscle, strong mm. arm to be able to hold the telescope in place. And, you know, it wants to keep dropping down back to the chewing gum. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and our mind wants to go back to the resentment or something else. Right. So we have to just see how many moments, and it can just be moments. It doesn't have to be forever. You don't have to be great at this. Like it's one thing to meditate. You don't have to be any good at it. You just have to do it anyway. Mm. And you just have to try to see how many moments you can stay present to the object of meditation. How many moments or how many breaths can you stay present to that sensation of your breath before your mind moves to something else or before it zones out, like unfocuses, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and at first, maybe it's just a few seconds, and that's completely fine. Um, what matters, though, is that each time your mind wanders away or it spaces out, you notice that that's occurred. Mm -hmm. And you have the strength of mind, the determination, the quiet but clear determination to return your attention to your breath or to the object of meditation. And each time you return your attention, it's like you've exercised a muscle. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much that you failed because you lost the object. You succeeded because you noticed and returned your attention. Mm. And each time you do that, your mind's gotten a bit stronger. That's, a strong, that's an action of strength. You're strengthening your mind. And the more you do that, the more your mind learns what it is to stay mm -hmm. focused and to hold an object. Uh, to begin with, we don't really know what that's like. So our mind's doing all the other things, but we're learning something new. We're learning mindfulness and we're learning concentration. And then we're able to stay a little bit longer, a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. So we're holding, we're practicing holding and remaining on the object. So we're holding with mindfulness so that we can remain on it moment by moment by moment, which mm. is concentration. And concentration brings inner peace. In Buddhism we say concentration is the cause of peace. Peace is the nature of happiness or the cause of happiness. Whenever we have inner peace, we have happiness. Whenever we lack inner peace, we lack happiness. Mm. There's no happiness separate from inner peace. We can't find that. You can't have an unpeaceful mind and a happy mind at the same time. Mm. But if you have a peaceful mind you have a happy mind. Um, yeah, so actually even just a few moments of concentration brings a real feeling of contentment and happiness from within that we created ourselves, we cultivated ourselves. Um, yeah, 
I love that analogy so much. Oh, good. <laughs> um, and I think that's, for me, can even be a meditation in itself. It's just thinking of the lighthouse and bringing the lighthouse into focus. And mm-hmm. um, Can you maybe give a couple other examples of objects of meditation? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, well, another object, like I was referencing, uh, the object of loving kindness, uh, which is a really uh, significant one in Buddhism because, um, well, actually, the mind of love in general is a really important mind. It's not a... Like, we really misunderstand what this is for the most part, most of us anyway, in modern Western world. Um, mixing it up with what in Buddhism we call desirous attachment, which is like uh, desiring something or someone to make us happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, love is a mind that wishes for others to be happy. It's a mind that thinks you matter, may you be happy, coming from a, a good intention, from a good heart. Mm-hmm. It's a really precious mind to our world and to every individual. Um, it has so many good qualities for our health and well-being. It takes us out of our negative states of mind. In Buddhism, we call these our delusions, like our self-centeredness, our uncontrolled desire or desirous attachment, our anger, jealousy, mm. um, the minds that cause us the most, cause us our mental pain. Mm-hmm and uh, lead to our unskillful or negative actions and create our suffering. Uh, It opposes all those minds. Uh, It makes us happy and confident and peaceful and and brings wise actions. Um, Yeah, if we could all just improve our our love for others, Mm -hmm. um, just 10%, something just... You know, the amount that we could if we wanted to today, that's not beyond our reach, um, our world would dramatically improve. Mm-hmm. And our, our happiness, and I mean, the news would have very little to talk about. You know, <laughs> we could give them, we could give it a break <laughs> for a day because <laughs> there wouldn't be much to, much, n- wouldn't much negative stuff to report on. Mm-hmm. So, this is a really important quality. Um, and so one way we can improve that quality that is the mind of love is through uh, training in it, in meditation, as well as then putting that into our daily life, putting that training into our daily life. Because another aspect of Buddhism is understanding that um, our minds, including our feelings, by mind in Buddhism, we don't just mean like intellectual thoughts. Mm-hmm. We also mean our feelings and our emotions. Um are things that we can develop. Uh, we can develop our resentment, you know, by focusing on them, mm-hmm. <laughs> feeding them. And we can develop our love or our compassion, our patience, our contentment, our wisdom by focusing on them and feeding them. Mm. They're not things that you can't change. Like sometimes people will say to me, well, I, I understand I could maybe change how I think, but I can't change how I feel. But that's really not true because our feelings are not independent entities. They're dependent related. We feel things for a reason. You know, the way we um, view ourself or other people or our situations is a large part of determining how we feel about ourselves or our mm-hmm. situations or other people. So in Buddhism, we, we recognize that and work on getting in there and changing our feelings by one way is by changing the way we regard, um, in this instance, other people. So as to change how we feel about them from being um, uncontrolled desire, thinking, what can you do for me? I need you to make me happy. Mm. Or um, aversion or anger, thinking, you're the source of my problems. You're a bad person. Get away. Or indifference, thinking, you don't make any difference to me, so I don't care <laughs> either way. Mm. <laughs> Which is really no good either obviously and we can have that for countless people Mm -hmm. each one of those people is somebody's child in buddhism we think you know buddha taught to regard um wisdom with wisdom to regard everyone you meet as a as a a dear friend or a member of your immediate family Mm -hmm. and that's a wise way to and a completely do something completely valid and that we can actually do Mm -hmm. And that will change our view through changing our view of other people thinking, you know, not only is this somebody else's child, but this is my friend, my dear family member. Mm. 
we recognize, oh, this is someone who matters, <laughs> which is amazing we even have to say that, you know. Mm -hmm. This is someone who, um, whose happiness and well-being is important, right. just like mine, you know. Uh, and that, when we recognize that from our heart, not just as an abstract intellectual idea, but practically, it just means when we mean it, practically, that means from our heart, then we feel something. Our feelings change. Mm -hmm. When we recognize somebody matters, their happiness and well-being is important, that means in Buddhism, according to Buddhism, we feel love. Mm. Because love is just a heartfelt recognition that you matter, your happiness and well-being. You are important. Your happiness and well-being matters, and it matters to me. Mm -hmm. And that leads us to feel or think, may you be happy. These are simple things. They're not beyond us. We all have, we all have the, even if we think, oh, no, I've, I've really got a really hard heart. This is not easy for me or something, you know. We can all do that. We all have the capacity mm -hmm. for that. And Buddhism shows us that and shows us how to do that. Um, it puts it in these simple terms. It's not some mis just mystical, esoteric thing that we can't get our head around. It's a very simple thing, the mind of love. And if we allow ourselves to contemplate that in our meditation space, like, for example, a way to develop um, cherishing love or loving kindness in, in a meditation, you can imagine or think that you're surrounded by all other living beings, which we are, we just don't see, we don't have good enough eyesight and there's too many you know, walls and such structures between us. Um, but we are surrounded by all other living beings, so we can imagine or think that you can take a few people who, um, uh, well, I like to do it, so I'll think of uh, somebody I already easily care about, like a friend or family member, uh, and then somebody who's more of an acquaintance, like someone um, who I parked next to that day or who I bought coffee from or who's a neighbor um, or someone who's walked into a class. I don't really know them, but I've, I've met them. I, I yeah, don't know much about them, but I know them, mm -hmm. um, to have an acquaintance. And you can also add in there someone who perhaps um, you don't get along very well with, <laughs> who, who seems to rub you up the wrong way, um, if you like. Uh, that can be helpful too. And then thinking of all those people around you, um, well, first of all, you can recognize how we're all the same in that we simply wish to be happy and free from suffering. Like, no matter what we're doing, that's why we're doing it. Maybe we don't understand that person seems to be crazy, that person seems to be doing bad things. I would never behave like that. I would never think that. But all they're doing is trying to be happy and free from suffering. And from where they're standing right now, for whatever confused reason or valid reason, it looks to them like that's how they would achieve that. Mm -hmm. You know. And that's why they're behaving that way. But behind all of our actions is just the same basic wish. Just want to be happy and free from suffering. So we recognize that. We can also recognize that each person is somebody's child. That helps us to recognize that mm -hmm. they each matter. Um, and uh, Buddha explained, actually, everyone, it's valid to think of everyone as your own family member or dearest friend. Mm -hmm. um, no, no less significant than your current friends and family members. And then we can focus in turn on those examples that we can then reflect back onto everyone. Um, like thinking of the, we can start with the friend or family member because that's easy for us to kind of kickstart our loving kindness. Mm -hmm. We can imagine them in front of us um, and contemplate, reflect on how um, wherever this person is, whatever they're doing right now, how they are a whole person just like us. Because we can forget that. We can think we're more self than anybody else mm -hmm. and everyone else is just intrinsically other and they don't matter as much. We wouldn't say that out loud, but implicitly something's happening in our heart that's making us feel that. So recognizing, oh, this is a whole person just like me mm. with thoughts and feelings, with needs and wishes and concerns. We can think, you know, they have a past, a present, and a future. And we can think about that until we develop a heartfelt recognition. Oh, this person is important. Mm -hmm. Their happiness and well-being matters. 
until our mind, our feelings change with that recognition. This is a whole person, this person matters. Mm. That leads us to, to think or feel, may they be happy. And when our heart changes with that thought or feeling, we then stay with that as our object of meditation, which is not like the sensation of our breath, it's something different, it's a state of mind, it's a, it's a feeling, mm. this meaningful feeling. Uh, and we try to stay present with that meaningful feeling for as many moments as we can. And then we can apply it to the next person also, the acquaintance, recognizing how what applies to the first person, to our friend or family member, must apply equally to this person. You know, they're a whole person too, just like us. They have thoughts and feelings just like us. They, right now, have needs and wishes. And there's something they're worried about right now. There's something they're wishing for right now. There's something they're concerned about right now. Um, this person, you know, my mechanic, or the person who just delivered the mail this morning, or the person who lives next door, they have a past, a present, and a future, just like I do. They wish to be happy and free from suffering, just like me. And we contemplate that until we recognize from our heart, which just means practically, not intellectually or abst in abstract oh yeah that this person is important mm. their happiness and well-being matters and we feel that it matters to us and then we stay with that for as many moments as we can or that thought may they be happy and then if we like we can apply it to the person that we have a more difficult time with mm -hmm. <laughs> which often is just also part of a, a lack of empathy towards that person if we mm -hmm. recognize actually they're just trying their best you know, and they're just, they're someone who matters just like we do. Mm -hmm. um, and they've got their own things going on, their own needs and concerns and so on. And to let that in until we feel, oh yeah, you, you matter too, may you be happy. Mm. And then if we like, we can apply that back to every person because what applies to those three people, they're no different from anyone else. That must apply to everyone we share our world with. Right. And then we get this feeling everyone we share our world with is someone whose happiness and well-being matters and we feel it matters to us. We've generated that, that we would call, if we do that, we've generated universal loving kindness, which is what we're going for in Buddhism. And we try and stay with that for as many moments as we can. And that feels great. I mean, that really definitely improves our yeah. personal happiness and well-being and even our, our health. Um, so that's a really good mind, that really great way to start the day. Or if you're having a difficult point in your day, to take a few minutes out and generate that kind of mind mm. um, really helps uplift the mind and bring out the goodness in us too. Because um, the, and one of the great things about minds like loving kindness is that they, they um, create other similar minds and other they... they um, lead us to other good minds and good actions. Like if you've got a negative mind, like resentment or strong self-centeredness, that will make it easier for us or natural for us to have other negative minds, mm. <laughs> like being irritated and angry and unkind and not so great behavior or being anxious and depressed and so on. Whereas if we bring out a mind like that loving kindness, then that nat is naturally compatible with other wise and positive minds and feelings and behaviors, it's much easier for us to be able to have inner peace, to concentrate, to have mindfulness, mm. to feel good. It's easier for us to have compassion or to be patient rather than to get angry and upset. Right. It's easier for us to make good decisions, you know, so it, it impacts um, so much of the rest of us. We'd like to briefly interrupt this interview to remind you that this podcast was made possible by listeners just like you. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash psychetruth, where you can watch the video version of this episode and all our podcast episodes. Plus, you'll gain access to over 500 videos of exclusive content, including premium courses and behind-the-scenes peaks. Help us keep this information free by visiting patreon.com slash psychetruth. That's patreon.com slash P-S-Y-C-H-E-T-R-U-T-H. I just think about how um, it feels very much right now that so many of us are at odds 
with each other. There's disagreement over this thing or that thing, and there's millions of things mm -hmm. for people to disagree about. It's uh -huh. just endless. And it's interesting that it, um, it feels not only like we get consumed by focusing on those things that make us different, we also have the external factors from the news you had mentioned earlier. And the news wouldn't have much to say if we all truly loved one another and saw mm -hmm. each person as just dear, as dear and important to us as our own family, or mm -hmm. our own friends, then people that we know. And there's, to me, a clear kind of external action of, of trying to keep us at odds with one another and of perpetuating those differences between people. Um, and what you're saying is that actually our own sense of contentment and self-love and just happiness in general, like do we spend most of our day smiling or spend most of our day frowning? That those feelings of negativity that we may have about ourselves and feeling unhappy or discontented or whatever is actually maybe a result of all of this negativity that we feel towards other people. So this element uh -huh. that you could transform your relationship with yourself, mm -hmm. your own happiness, your own sense of contentedness throughout your day, change your relationship with yourself by changing the way that you see mm -hmm. others and yeah. creating that compassion for other people. Yeah. Um, and that just feels really, really powerful to me. And just mm -hmm. from, you know, sitting here and listening to you explain it, I was thinking, wow, you know what? She is exactly right. Because um, even when within myself, there's people that I disagree with or, you know, um, certainly being on YouTube, it's a very uh, active community. Right. of people that love to attack one another. I mean, there's also a lot of wonderful people that love to support one another. Mm -hmm. But by and large, I know that when I post a video, there's there's going to be a couple people that are leaving a skeptical comment or, you know, whatever. Everyone mm -hmm. has their own feelings, especially in the realm of, like, natural health and stuff. There's a lot right. of things that people are skeptical about or the mainstream has you know, created a, you know, general feeling of negativity towards like this topic or that topic. Um, so there's a lot of, of negativity, you know, in those comment sections, just maybe in general on social media. Now there's like a lot of, um, of disagreement and argument. And, um, but I just think about, you know, to, to think of those people, even though they are maybe, you know, presenting, a rude point of view <laughs> that, you know, one of the things that I, you know, notice myself getting wrapped up in is feeling, you know, hurt by these comments or feeling, you know, oh, well, why, you know, if they would have just listened to what this person had to say rather than leaving this mean comment, um, you know, you know, they could have learned so much and all this, but I, I get that feeling of being wrapped up mm -hmm. in, um, in negativity and then, you know, why can't this person listen to me or why doesn't this person want to understand? And I don't even know them. These uh -huh. are just people behind a screen name. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but if I could look at those people with the same love and compassion that I have for my own family, yeah. like, wow, you know, I could actually spend a lot less time feeling frustrated yeah. or, you know, under attack or whatever um, to just kind of let some of that go. And then maybe similarly, um, if there was this kind of overall awakening or like we all started to do this and maybe those people that are leaving mean comments could stop leaving mean comments for people. You know, I think <laughs> about what they, you know, used to say when we were kids, you can't say something nice. You just don't say anything at all. Oh, that's powerful words. <laughs> it's yeah. powerful words. And they've um, been completely thrown out in this day and age. Uh -huh. Like to me, when I look at something on social media, it feels like everyone's like, oh, woohoo, here's my chance to, you know, say something mean to a perfect stranger. That's an interesting phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And I think just in general, um, you know, it kind of... Um, 
you know, it kind of illustrates the state of mind that so many people are in, mm-hmm. where we're fixated on the things that we disagree about. We're fixated on the things that we don't like about this person or we don't like this thing they said. Um, but it sounds like maybe the true key to happiness is not sitting there and arguing our point and telling this person they're wrong or whatever, but is actually finding that compassion and love for those people. Mm-hmm. Um, just But with that, you can still um, have a healthy discussion or debate, mm-hmm. but you can do it with empathy and compassion whilst you're having it. You don't have to agree with everyone to love them. Yeah. Um, and love just means valuing their welfare and their well-being, realizing they're a person too, they deserve to be happy and free from suffering and actually meaning that mm-hmm. um, and having that empathy. And you don't have to think they're right or wrong to do that. You don't have to agree or disagree with someone for that. You can, you know, you can walk away from a debate with that state of mind and you can enter into a debate with that state of mind. But if we have that attitude, it means we don't have to become upset mm-hmm. by it and we certainly don't have to attack anybody um, that doesn't help us or them. Uh, and even if other people are attacking us and there's a lot of that going on around us or in the world, we're still a member of the world and we're having an impact by what we do and how how we do it. Mm-hmm. So by us doing otherwise, that's allowing another example of how to be because we all need examples. You know, we, we do copy, you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> whether we mean to or not, we're influenced by what we see. Um, so if there aren't any, if everyone looks like they're also sniping back and saying mean things too, it's easier for us to copy that. But if we see examples mm-hmm. of people in a grounded, you know, not holier than thou way, but in an honest, empathetic, happy way, not doing that, there's oh, maybe I don't have to do that either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe I could be that they look like they're happier. <laughs> you know? right. And maybe I could be more like that. So we're setting a new trend, you know. Mm-hmm. Just maybe kind of an interesting question, but to compare, uh, I don't know, people in the UK or life in the UK as compared to when you came over to the States, Mm -hmm. were there noticeable differences between the mindset or general behaviors? Or is it kind of like you just same thing in a different place? Uh, culturally, there's a bunch of differences. I mean, it's interesting because the language is the same. There was someone, well, there's some famous American uh, writer who said, two countries divided by a common language. Anyway, like Walt Whitman or somebody. Now I'm getting it all wrong. Anyway, somebody said that, but it's quite true because um, we're using the same words but we have different things we mean by them mm-hmm. or different ways of commun- using the language. Right. Um, So that took a while to navigate. Like, I mean, I remember the first year I was here accidentally insulting people all the time because we have a different way of making jokes in in the UK. For whatever reason, we use a lot more sarcasm. And it's a way of showing affection. It really, honestly, I don't do it anymore, not to that degree, because I learned. Oh, no, (laughs) it doesn't mean the same thing. Don't do that. And I'm just, you know, I'm in this country, I'm trying to make friends, I'm trying to be nice to people, to show people, oh, I like you and I respect you and I appreciate what you just said. And in Britain, you do that by saying something sarcastic. It shows that you trust them, you admire them, you think they can take it, you know, it's like a sign of affection. Yeah. It's not here. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> and I was like, here I am, this Buddhist nun, and I'm trying to befriend people and I'm insulting them. So I had to learn, no, no, that's, people, um, people say what they meet uh, more straight up in their language here you, you say mm. what you mean or what you feel in a more upfront way um <laughs> so things like that um and uh in america people have a, have a lot of com- there's a lot more confidence i would say um uh which is nice and uh and yeah, I don't know. I've been here a long time now, so I go back every summertime because I do my visit my family. And at the same time, um, our main um, meditation center is in the north of England, mm-hmm. and we have an international festival and a, a teacher training program that I attend each summertime. So I kind of have a bit of a foot in both places, but right. it kind of, if anything, it just confuses me because I forget which terms are British and which <laughs> ones are American, and 
whether I'm talking to Americans or British people and I get the whole thing muddled up. So I just try my best. I don't know. I don't know what the difference is. <laughs> um, you that, know, just got to try and be nice to people mm-hmm. and hope that that will cut it no matter what culture right. you're in or country. Right. <laughs> so, you know, getting back to that idea of, you know, working working meditation into a busy lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, you had kind of talked about the breath as a great object of meditation because it's free. It's something we all have. <laughs> um, can you maybe talk a little bit more about, you know, other ways that you would recommend someone starts working to integrate meditation? Uh-huh. Like, is it necessary to, you know, sit down in an empty room and everything's quiet and you mm-hmm. sit down with your breath or is this something that you can start, um, you know, like integrating within your day? Like mm-hmm. I've heard people say, you know, just make this activity a mindfulness activity mm-hmm. or you're cooking and you can make it a mindful activity, mm-hmm. what your feelings are mm-hmm. on that. Well, it is great if you can find some time to do actual formal meditation Um, where you're not doing any other activity, you're just focusing on training your mind, just using your mind alone. Um, Because that's a really powerful way to be working on training our mind. Again, you don't need a lot of time. 20 minutes is wonderful, but, um, but just start with five minutes because a lot of people you know, find it intimidating or you feel like you can't keep it up. Mm -hmm. And what is key is consistency and and doing it regularly. So you need to pick an amount of time that even on a difficult day, a really busy day, you could still fit that in. Um, And, you know, five minutes is that. Even if you got to the end of your day and you go into bed late, you could still do five minutes because it's only going to make you sleep better. So you're going to make the most of that lessened sleep. Um, so it's in a way it's giving giving you time it's not taking time away Mm. um, which is an important thing to think about Um, also because it's clearing our mind it's making it's making us be more efficient with our day and feel less tired um, from our day so it is giving us time rather than taking time out taking Mm. away time so even if we are very busy um, I don't think we should be too busy to meditate like it is something that uh, is is for a busy day, um, mm. if anything, even more than for a non-busy day, because it will help us cope with that busy day. Um, and then in terms of where you would do it, um, yeah, you want to find you you want to find whatever is your quiet space, and that's going to vary a lot person to person. So, if you have some you know, lovely place that's specifically for your meditation where nobody can get to you and, you know, that's great, then do it there. Um, Or whatever is your closest proximity to that, Mm -hmm. you know, before the kids get up and come into your room. um, Or, you know, it, yeah. Yeah, just taking it from there, depending on your circumstances, that could end up even being in your car in the parking lot before you go into work. You know, that's your quiet space that you've found, and mm-hmm. you use that. Um, once you've found a space, whatever is your equivalent of a peaceful, quiet space, according to your life, um, then we have to be satisfied with that because we can't um, we can't control all of our externals, like the traffic and the sound of other people and so on. We have to decide, I'm not going to be distracted by those things. Mm. You know, we think now is the time to meditate. Everything else can wait. Um, And I'm not going to pay any attention to those other things. Uh, This time is just for me to focus on that meditation. Um, Also, in terms of the time of day, it's really nice to meditate first thing in the morning because that sets you up for the day. But everyone's a little different, and Mm -hmm. you want to meditate the time that, um, you know, if you're more of an evening person or in the afternoon when you've finished work, um, a time that your your mind is not too busy and um, you're not too tired and that you feel like you could work into your day on a regular basis in a mm-hmm. comfortable manner. Yeah, but just to reiterate that, um, or rather to reinforce or to reiterate that meditation is something that is for anyone and everyone. Mm. 
um, whether you have a busy mind or a busy life or both, it's not something that people should feel intimidated or isn't for them. Um, in terms of having a busy mind, that's why we train in meditation or feeling like um, we're too distracted or um, our minds don't have enough control over our mind. It's, it's helping us learn those tools of mm -hmm. improving that control, improving that, that inner peace and that ability to choose which thoughts we follow and which thought, you know, and are good for us and that we want to follow and which thoughts are not doing us any good so we don't have to follow those negative thoughts mm. or unhappy thoughts. Um, and to do that, though, we need to find some regular time each day to put that um, focus on meditation in, whether it's 20 minutes uh, or whether that's just five minutes. And if, if people could find five minutes, five days a week, whether that's first thing in the morning or at the end of the day, whether that's sitting in your car in the parking lot outside work or in some nice um, place that's specifically crafted for it, um, it still, it works. Mm -hmm. You know, it's putting something each day, just like we feed our body each day, we exercise our body each day, we clean our body each day, doing something each day to work on creating some inner peace and improving the quality of our mind. I love that so much, and I just want to thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. Um, I definitely want to have you on the program again. Okay, sure. And um, just thank you for sharing all of this. I feel empowered to set aside my time, and you know, you've you've cleared up a lot of that. Um, I think just kind of not not knowing what to do or whatever, mm -hmm. and creating the um, the space for us to know that we don't have to be, um, you know, in a particular place or have an hour of timer to put or whatever, mm -hmm. um, and that everyone is able to do it. Yeah, and we shouldn't feel intimidated by the thought of a of a meditation and. Mm -hmm. Um, and I love that you kind of use it as this, uh, we talk a lot about self-care on, on the program. Um, and so, yeah, the way you have your self-care of stretching and working out and doing these things and eating healthy, your self-care for your mind mm -hmm. is just as important. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been really nice. Definitely. And we'll look forward to having you on the program again. Great. Thank you very much. I want to thank all of you for tuning in today. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to see the full one-hour version of this interview, you can visit us on wellnessplus.tv. And if you'd like to learn more about Gen Norden or find any of her meditation classes, you can visit meditationinaustin.com.org. <laughs> We're a nonprofit. And if you'd like to learn more about Gen Norden or find any of her classes, you can visit meditationinaustin.org. Thank you so much, and we can't wait to have you again soon. The Wellness Plus Podcast. Copyright 2018. Target Public Media, LLC. All rights reserved.